settle your minds, open your hearts, and listen for the Spirit of God in this story from the Gospel of Mark. They came to Jericho as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bar Timaeus, which means son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and then said, Call him here. They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, Bartimaeus regained his sight and followed him on the way. The word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is good to be with you this morning. I bring you greetings from your seminary just up the road a little bit. I am especially thankful that Marty invited me and for the hospitality I've been shown this morning, my wife and I. Um, I, I think, though, with, with Marty not being here, it's a good time to talk about her, isn't it? And I, I, just, I just want you to help me uh, poke fun at her a little bit. Since we've already had some microphone problems this morning, let's just tell her that mine kept falling off, which is hers. And the reason it kept falling off is because my head's not as big as hers. So, so. You are in the middle of a 40-day Lenten theme focused on encountering God on the journey, the way. Well... You could have spent your whole time in the gospel we just read, Mark. Mark could be described as a journey narrative, at least half of it. And over and over and over again, Mark tells us that Jesus was on the way. Now, in English, you don't notice this quite as much as you do in Greek, because the English changes every once in a while. But in Greek, it's really obvious. It first shows up, and it sounds like Jesus is just moving around, like we know he does. But by the 800th time Mark says, Jesus was on the way, we know this is symbolic code language. By the 8,000th time Mark uses it, we know where Jesus is going on the way to Jerusalem, to the cross. So there he goes on the way leading his disciples all through the gospel towards the cross. Now by the time we get to the reading we just heard, we're at the end of that journey. This is the last story 
before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Jesus has journeyed all the way through Galilee, all the way south to the outskirts of Jerusalem. He's, he's now in Jericho, basically a suburb of Jerusalem. Think Plano in your mind. And as they pass through Jericho, the disciples are all whining about needing to stop and go to the bathroom. And can we go into Bucky's and get some jerky and a slushy? I know it didn't say that in English, but trust me, it's really there in the Greek. Anyway, Jesus tells them to settle back down in the back of the minivan, and we've got to, we've got to get there. We, we're, we're on a journey. We're headed somewhere. We'll be there soon. Well, going through this last suburb before, it's not just Jesus, but huge crowds of people all headed to Jerusalem for Passover. It's a big pilgrimage. So there is Bartimaeus on the side of the way. It's, it's a beggar's dream. It's Black Friday season for beggars. Because everyone headed to Jerusalem has extra change in their pockets for souvenirs and such. You got to get them going in because you're not going to get them going out. So there he is on the side of the road. See him sitting down there on the ground with his legs crossed and his cloak spread out there. There he is yelling out to people, have mercy on me, a beggar, please. A blind beggar, have mercy. And then he finds out somehow that Jesus is in the crowd. Evidently he's heard of Jesus, so he starts yelling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd says, shh, don't bother, shh, quiet. Doesn't, start, doesn't stop Bart. Bart yells out louder and louder, have mercy on me, son of David. And finally, Jesus stops there and says, bring him to me. And so over comes Bartimaeus. And Jesus says, what is it you want from me? Now, that just seems like the stupidest question for a Messiah to ever ask, doesn't it? He's been performing miracles everywhere, and here is this blind man led to him, and he says, what is it you want from me? But see, you only think that's a dumb question because you missed a little detail that Mark tells us. It says, when he got up, he threw away his cloak. Now, see, that seems like nothing to us. But in the ancient world, anyone would have known exactly what that meant. It's like we said, there was a street musician on the side of the road, and when Jesus called him, he threw away his guitar case. Or there was a panhandler who threw away his tin cup. The cloak was the way you collected money, especially as a blind man, when you couldn't see it, you spread it out, people would throw money into your cloak. So throwing away his cloak was a sign of throwing away his livelihood. The, the vessels, the utensils he used to earn a living. So when Jesus asked, what do you want from me? It's not an odd question at all. You're a beggar and you've come to beg without your tin cup? Make me see. He asks. So Jesus says, go, your faith has saved you. And immediately he saw. 
The problem is that Bartimaeus disobeys Jesus. None of you know anything about that. Bartimaeus disobeys Jesus because he doesn't go. He doesn't leave at all. For the first time in his life, as far as we know, he can go anywhere he wants. His whole life has been dependent on someone else leading him around because he can't see. There were no walk um, signs that, that told you when you could cross. There were no seeing eye dogs back then. You were dependent completely on someone else. For the first time, he has mobility to go anywhere. He has freedom. And what does he do? He decides to be led around again by Jesus. Go. And he followed him. And did you hear where? On the way. He could go anywhere he wants. He's been given the gift of sight. And he follows Jesus to the cross. Now, I don't know if you caught what Bartimaeus just did, but Bartimaeus took a nice, simple miracle story that we love and turned it into a call story. Now, the Bible's filled with call stories. Moses and the burning bush, Elijah, Isaiah and the coal to his lips, the fishermen by the Sea of Galilee. The difference is, in all those other call stories, God or Jesus actually calls. Bartimaeus was not called. Bartimaeus was sent away. And instead he says, no, no, I think I'm called. Now, as someone who teaches in a seminary, I hear my fair share of call stories. Now, you would be proud of the sacrifices and the dedication that your students over at Perkins have, your future ministers, but frankly, I get a little tired of their call stories. I, I just got to admit, yeah, yeah, God called you. Go tell somebody else so I can finish my lunch. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be insensitive. They've gone through a lot. It means a lot to them. But they sometimes remind me of this preacher that I grew up with. He was in my, my small town in Alabama, and it didn't matter what he was preaching on, some way or another, he would bring his call story into the sermon. He'd be talking about God creating the world in six days. And God called me into the ministry. But uh, He'd be talking about the Israelites being taken into exile. And somehow we'd go off into him being called into the ministry. The meaning of the Lord's Supper, I was called into the ministry. Talking about the apocalyptic end of the world, he would find a way to slip in. That reminds me of when I was a young man. I was sitting in cell 204 in prison. And I was just now giving my life to Christ and starting to read the Bible. And God told me that when I got out, I should go preach the word. I'll bet every time he told that story, God thought, I wish I'd called the person in 203 instead. <laughs> Hated that story. Heard it so much. Not because he told it so often only, but also because he made it sound like his calling was special and everyone's calling is special. But I'm especially in awe of those 
who are told you aren't called and follow on the path of discipleship anyway. I'm in my mid-50s. I'm white, middle-class, heterosexual, American, Protestant, male. So I'm especially inspired by those who don't share my privilege of race, birthplace, gender, age, education, sexual orientation, economic standards. I'm especially in awe of those who have been shushed by the crowd as they tried to get close to Jesus. I'm in awe of those who have heard the word go so often that they think it's their middle name. And yet, nevertheless, somehow, they find in themselves the power to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus and say, I haven't been called but I should have been. Over the course of its 2,000 years of history, the church has been an overachiever at telling people they aren't called. Take women, for example. The Gospels tell us there were women who followed Jesus and who supported his ministry. Paul's earliest churches had women who are named as leaders, likely patrons of the church. But soon the church decided that if you aren't physically built like Jesus, and you can't go to the bathroom the same way Jesus does, somehow you can't represent Jesus in ministry. The church said, shh, shh, to women. But there were plenty of female Bartimaeuses across the course of this history of ours out there saying, I'm not called, but I ought to be. For instance, in medieval times, there were women who weren't allowed to write theology. So instead, they wrote these wild visions, esoteric poetry about God. And people said, well, that's nice. But you know what they were writing? Theology. Women weren't allowed in the pulpit, so you know what they did? They testified. They just told their story. You know what that was? That was preaching. In our own tradition, Susanna Wesley was married to Samuel, a priest. Gave birth to two sons who became priests, Charles and John. But she was not allowed to be a priest. So she held study sessions in her kitchen. Prayer groups. You know what she was doing? She was being a priest. We've come a long way in the church toward more fully including women in the leadership and the calling of the church. But we all know there's still a stained glass ceiling that keeps women from some of the most prominent positions of leadership. But thanks heavens, there are churches like North Haven. Churches that have women appointed as their senior pastor. A church that has only females as their programming staff. You know how rare that is in the ecclesial world still. Thank heavens for a church like you that says, no more shushing from us. You female Bartimaeuses say you've encountered God, we're going to take your word for it. And we call you. 
over the course of its nearly 400 years of history in North America, the church has been an overachiever at shushing some people and saying, you aren't called. White people are called. People of color are not. Take African Americans, for instance. White government, white economy, white farmers brought Africans across the ocean to the colonies, later to the states. We forced them to become Christian, to take Christian names. And then we said, yeah, but you're only sort of Christian. You can't preach, you can't lead. Instead, they got white preachers to preach to black slaves and said, now the way to get to heaven is to be a good slave. But trust me, there were plenty of African-American Bartimaeuses out there saying, I'm not called, but I ought to be. So in the middle of the night, while the slave masters slept, slaves would slip off into the woods. And there in the deep of the woods, some Bartimaeuses would take over leadership role. There would be some Bartimaeus who would hang up quilts around uh, on the trees to dampen the sound so they wouldn't get caught being out there. There would be another Bartimaeus who would lead the worshipers in learning a new spiritual. Another Bartimaeus would lead the group in a dance. And finally, uh, another Bartimaeus would stand up and preach. Only this Bartimaeus didn't get up and preach about Paul saying, be a good slave. He would stand up and preach about the Exodus. And the God who took the Israelite slaves out of Egypt will also take us out of slavery now. We've come a long way in the church towards better inclusion of African Americans in the full leadership and calling of the church. But there's still a lot of segregation out there in the church. Keeps African Americans from some of the more prominent positions in the church. But then there are strong churches like North Haven. Three decades ago, you hired a second career African American Perkins student to come and take on a part-time role in children and youth here. Three decades ago, after she graduated and completed her internship, you hired her for full-time ministry for a while. The first African-American to be on your programming staff. Today, Evelyn Parker is the Associate Dean at Perkins, the highest academic office in our school. She is a top scholar in her field. She is the incoming president of her National Academic Guild. And she is the moderator on the World Council of Churches of the Committee for Statelessness, Refugees, and Migration. Just imagine what shushing from North Haven might have done. Just imagine what not shushing did that might have opened some of those doors to her form of leadership. But you said, no more shushing from us. You said to her, you encountered God along the way, and maybe other people said you aren't called, but we will no longer be one of those people. You say you were called, we say you're called. 
over the last half a century, our denomination has been an overachiever at shushing gay people and telling them they are not called. The denomination said, well, there's those few Bible verses that denounce homosexual behavior, and it goes against natural law, which really means it's contrary to my experience as a straight person. Um, and frankly, whispered people in the church, it just seems icky. And we said, as a denomination, God calls straight people. God only calls people whose gender identity corresponds with their birth sex. So go, we said. But don't try to tell me that there haven't been gay people in the church serving all along. There have been plenty of closeted Bartimaeuses out there saying, I'm not called, but I ought to be. One was a friend of mine back when I was in seminary. His name was Paul. Paul um, was not a degree-seeking student. He was at my school on sabbatical from his school. He taught English literature at a major university. And Paul had come to seminary for a year off to study theology. And I asked Paul, I said, here you are at a school of theology. You could be out writing something on literature. What are you doing here? Have you ever thought you were called? And Paul told me how as a young boy, he would go around with his father, who was a Southern Baptist preacher, and play the piano at revivals his father preached at. He said, but I never felt like I could be called into the ministry because I was gay. He said, and being a gay man, there's not a place for me. But then he kept talking, and he, he said, I eventually found a home in the Episcopal Church. Now, remember, this is long before the days of Gene Robinson. And he said, I, um, I never experienced a call from the church, but I decided if they wouldn't invite me in through the front door, I would sneak in through the back. So he found ways to volunteer to read scripture in worship. And he would serve as a chalice bearer at the table. He served on almost every committee the church had at one time or another. And when the church began a Stevens ministry, remember when we used to all do this, he took the lead. He jumped in with all his might. He he did training there in the church about how to go visit people. He visited all the sick people in the church, all the homebound. He counseled with the troubles, with, with, with those who were troubled. And then he found a way to begin working with the national level of Stephen's ministry. I am in awe of people who are told they aren't called and they say, you want to bet me? But it's time the gay Bartimaeus shouldn't have to come in the back door of the church. Now, I've got to be honest, I, I, I'm, I'm a little perturbed that I, you were told I taught homiletics, and then you were told what that means, because that sets up expectations. When, you're, when you, you hear that your preacher teaches preaching, 
you're expecting one of two routes. Either a great preacher or somebody who's going to prove the old adage, those who can't do teach. <laughs> well, so, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I, I built the perfect homiletical structure here for you. I, I did all the tricks I teach my students, and I had this nice three-point parallelism here, right? So I talked about North Haven, no longer shushing women. I talked about North Haven, no longer shushing African Americans. And now we are to the LGBTQIA community. And what am I to do? Now, let's be clear, you've done loads, and I am inspired and grateful. I'm grateful for your long-term affiliation with Reconciling Ministries. I am grateful that you are a church that has hosted a gay wedding. I am grateful that, you have been inspired, that you've inspired many by your response to the special session of the General Conference. But you, well, you and I, are still part of a denomination that has shushing on its official books. Our official law, our official doctrine says it is a gay, it is a sin to be gay. Since the mid-1970s, we've been fighting about this. But our denomination still says gay people aren't called. At the special session of the General Conference you've heard so much about, we tried to create a path forward where at least some segments of the church could say, Gay people are called. But no, as a denomination, we voted to continue a long tradition of shushing. And you, well, you and I, we know, though, that there are gay Bartimaeuses in our family. There are queer Bartimaeuses living on our street in our neighborhood. There are bi Bartimaeuses in our workplace. There are trans Bartimaeuses in our pews. We are stuck in a denomination that shushes them and says, we don't recognize that you are called. But we cannot say stuck in this situation and follow Jesus on the way. I don't know what denominational path is in front of us. Not just yet. But I want to ask you a favor. When you figure it out, I would ask that you invite me back and tell me how you finish this sermon.